may be seated today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter um, 7. I'm going to wind up the Essentials series today and I want to really encourage you, if you missed any of the messages, go back and listen to them on the podcast. Uh, you can watch them online. In fact, I want to welcome those of you that might be watching online with us um, because it is so important we continue to build the foundation in our lives. And today, I want to talk to you about being grateful. We're about three months removed from the, the holiday of Thanksgiving, and I absolutely love that time of the year, besides the fact that my birthday happens right around Thanksgiving, November 25th, for those of you that like to keep dates and send presents, <laughs> write that down today. Um, and uh, I love that time of the year, and, and I don't know what kind of traditions you guys have around the holidays, but a, a tradition that we have is that before we eat, before we open presents, before we do anything, we sit in a circle and we go around the circle and we tell something that we're thankful for. Now, my mother-in-law is the one that enforces this every year, and I'm more than happy to do it, by the way. Um, and, and it's something that we get the opportunity just to take some time to be thankful. So I love the holiday season, and I know this kind of sounds funny. Well, Pastor Richie, this is March 3rd. You know, and uh, so why are you talking about this? Well, I wanted to take a moment because sometimes we forget after we get out of a season what we learned in the season. And, and I love the holiday season. There's lots of reasons. My birthday, Pam's birthday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, and our anniversary all happen within about seven weeks. So it's an incredibly exciting time for me and a time that I look forward to every year. And, and I've learned and recognized over the year that for the most part, as I've gotten older, I have, a, I have more of a grateful heart than I ever had. You know, I, I think when, when you're younger and you're, you're trying to lay hold of some things or, or you're, you're thinking that the next thing that you're going to do is going to bring happiness and satisfaction, we have a tendency to be very ungrateful. But as I've gotten older, I've been, become more and more appreciative of not really just stuff. Now, I have to tell you that I like stuff. Y'all like stuff? You like nice stuff? Right? I, I like stuff. But it really doesn't bring fulfillment and happiness. It's nice. But you know what really brings fulfillment and happiness? Great family, great friends, great health. And, 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 and so it's easier as I get older to be thankful for the right things. And, but I remember as a kid, you're, you're really thankful for the wrong things, honestly. If you're really honest as a kid, you're thankful for toys, right? The new bike, the BB gun, the doll, whatever it is. But, but even as a kid, when you're doing the tradition of going around and saying the thing that you're thankful for, you know you can't say, I'm thankful for the presents I'm about ready to open, right? You're smart enough to know that you got to please mom and you got to please dad, so you start saying things. I'm so thankful for my amazing parents. I'm so thankful for the, the fact that I have this beautiful home and that you guys take such good care of me. And hopefully you were taught or you're teaching people that during a holiday season, it is a, a wonderful time to learn how to have an attitude of gratitude. And here's the thing about attitudes. You're in charge of your attitude. Now, people can affect your attitude if you choose to let them. Situations can affect your attitude if you choose to let them. But no one is in charge of your attitude but you. 
And I think that most of us really do have an attitude of gratitude during a holiday season because we're kind of reminded about Thanksgiving. So just hearing Thanksgiving and saying Thanksgiving causes us to be thankful. And, and we know that Christmas is coming up, so we want to be thankful to the people that are going to buy us a present, right? And so we're thankful during that season, but then February comes and March comes and the bills come from Christmas, right? And suddenly we're looking at it and we're going, what on earth was I thinking in buying that? And we're, we're in the middle of winter, which it's been kind of crazy. We've had winter, summer, winter, summer, winter, summer this week alone. But we're in the middle of winter and we get stuck inside and sometimes when we get stuck inside we kind of get begin to go a little stir crazy and before you know it we're not enjoying the great outdoors, we're not getting sunshine, the vitamin D that comes with it and suddenly before you know it we can become a little bit unthankful. And if we're not careful we lose the attitude of gratitude when actually every one of us here today have so many things that we can be thankful for. And it's easy to forget that. Whereas the things that we're frust- frustrated about, they're always at the forefront of our mind, right? Because when we're, when we're in that season of the attitude of the gratitude is sliding downhill, and we say, aren't you happy? Aren't, aren't you thankful? We're kind of like, yeah, but I'm really not for sure about what. Whereas the things we're frustrated about, we got a list of 10 things that blam, 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 blam. Right? But who doesn't like to be around somebody that has a positive attitude? Who doesn't like to be around somebody who has a positive outlook on life? Listen, when I get around people who are thankful, I want to either hire them or I want to become great friends with them. Because that thankful attitude is so contagious because we're drawn to people who have an attitude of gratitude and mainly because that's not the norm in our society. I've said this lots of times, but you know what? If you will just walk around smiling and grinning from ear to ear, people will actually think something is wrong with you. Whereas if you frown and have a sour disposition on your life, everyone's super comfortable with that. And so it's, it's not the norm. And it's easy for us to not be thankful. We got uh, 7 million things going on in our life that are wonderful, but we got two challenges, so we tend to focus on the two challenges. And if we're not careful, we become very negative. We begin to say wrong things. We begin to do wrong things. We begin to post wrong things. We're suddenly now scanning social media and going, oh, they believe that. I think I'm going to have to fix them right now. I don't actually know them. I don't actually have a relationship with them. But let me just tell them what I think because I'm sure I will enlighten them in some way. Listen. If you want to stand out in the crowd, if you want to get the attention of your boss or a business owner, if you want to have lots of friends, develop, keep, hold on to an attitude of gratitude. I have to be honest with you, it's something that I have to work on because it's easy for me to sometimes notice the thing that needs to get better. I actually studied music in school, and in fact, my degree is actually in composition and arranging, and, and um, I studied music in school, and what my teachers taught me was to learn how to be critical of something, how to look at what worked, what didn't work, what was the problem, what needed to get better, and so I learned how to think that way, and it was, it was a wonderful thing. I love the education that I got, but it was honestly the worst thing. Because it took me about 10 years after I got out of school and graduated from school to actually start enjoying a worship time again. 
Because as they would worship the Lord, I'd be going, oh, that song's a little fast, a little fast, a little fast. That person's a little pitchy, little pitchy. Because I was taught that. And so it's, it's easy for me to sometimes see the thing that needs to get better rather than noticing all of the amazing things that are going on around me. I'm glad that I'm married to a very positive, proacting, needing words of affirmation woman because she reminds me all of the time to speak words of life. And she and she'll tell me things like, sometimes I will notice the one thing that got missed and miss the ten things that we did right. So, and I believe this is, again, one of those essential things for us as followers of Jesus Christ. I believe having an attitude of gratitude, having a thankful heart, makes Christianity incredibly contagious. Because I want to tell you, I know that some of you here today, and you're, you're seriously, and I'm not trying to make light of the thing that you're walking through, because you're seriously dealing with some challenges. But we have to remember what the Apostle Paul talked about, these temporary light afflictions. Listen, I, I know that right now it does not feel like it's temporary. But do you remember when you were in high school and that girl broke up with you or that boy broke up with you and you were for sure it was the end of the world? You survived. In fact, you ended up marrying someone better. Can I get a good amen? Right? And so if we can start looking at what we're walking through now as what happened then, suddenly we can go, look, I know this is challenging and I know it's hurting me a little bit. But I really do know that God's in control and I really do know that he's a faithful God and I do know that he loves me with an everlasting, unconditional love. Therefore, I can stand solid and I can rest in the goodness of God and I can recognize I will see the promises of the Lord show up in my heart and life. And it's simply a matter of learning how to meditate on the promises of God. And I'm not talking about you knowing exactly the verses, but understanding the principles and meditating on the promises of God. Pastor Richie, I can't do that. Do you worry? All that is is meditation in reverse. You're meditating on the problem. You're meditating on how bad it's going to be. You're meditating on all you got to do is stop doing that. You're in charge of you. You can start meditating on the promises of God. Listen, if, if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, how many of you want to know that today? I'm really looking at your hands. See how many people here today? All right, y'all going there. I knew this was a Pentecostal church, and they'd get me to raise up my hand. I want to show it to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to get to Luke 7 in just a second. But it says this, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say that we have to necessarily give thanks for all circumstances. Though I will tell you, as you mature in your revelation of the goodness of God, you can actually begin to thank God in the midst of some challenges. Some challenges you can go, that's the enemy. He's bringing the wrong thing into my life to try to destroy me, so that's not going to happen. But sometimes some things come into our life because we need some stuff broken off of us. We, we need some stuff filtered out of us. So we give thanks in all circumstances, not necessarily for all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you. It's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So today I want to look at this story in Luke 7, and uh, I want us to learn to recognize that it's really only the revelation of God's love and God's goodness that really empowers us to stay in an attitude of gratitude, that really empowers you and I to stay thankful. And again, who doesn't want to be a person that everywhere they go, they're always finding something good in every situation? 
Who, who doesn't want to be that person? Some of you are going, I don't. Okay, well, I don't. I think all of us want to be that because, man, can you imagine going into a challenging situation and yet being able to see the good in the middle of that? Still going to go through the challenging situation, but you're going to go through it with a positive attitude, a faith-filled attitude, and things are going to change. So I want to look at this story in Luke 7 because today I want us to discover two obstacles that come that we will have to being grateful. There's, there's two obstacles. Now, there's probably more in the story, and this is definitely not an exhaustive list of obstacles, but I want to pull two of them out of there today. So Luke chapter 7, it's gonna, I'm going to read a story here, so kind of follow along with me. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. We brought the big Bible up here today, up on the screen. Luke chapter 7 says this, that when one of the Pharisees, now we're going to discover here in just a minute that's a guy named Simon. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now this is kind of interesting, real quick. For those of you who don't know that a Pharisee was one of the religious leaders of the day. They were in charge of the old covenant. They had not only taken the six or seven hundred plus laws of God, but they had added things to it. They had made Christianity so, so, so difficult. And they were in constant opposition against Jesus. And it's interesting that, 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 that they were. So this Pharisee invites Jesus to his home, and Jesus accepts his invitation, which, by the way, probably surprised him. Probably shocked him that Jesus would show up, because you know Jesus, he doesn't really care what you believe or what you think. He wants to show up at your house all the time. He wants to show up and so that you can begin to get a revelation about how amazing he is and how good he actually is. So he shows up for dinner at this house, Verse 37, it says that a woman in this town who had lived a sinful life, she's probably a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, we don't know much about this woman, and I think it's interesting that this Pharisee has Jesus over for a meal and people just start showing up. I, I don't know if they're out on some kind of patio that people can just walk in off the street or whatever it is, but this woman shows up and we don't really know much about her, but as she walks in on the meal, apparently she is so moved by what Jesus has done that she is grateful for what he has done. She falls to her knees and takes the thing that is actually the most valuable to her, this expensive perfume. It probably actually represented her livelihood. Because watch this, as a prostitute, she would need to smell good for her business. All right? So she is literally taking her livelihood and pouring it on the feet of Jesus. She's taking her hair and she's wiping the feet of Jesus. And sometimes as, as we read Passages like this, we can read it and kind of go, oh, man, that's an incredible, beautiful picture of worship. And, and it is, but you got to remember, Jesus is wearing open-toed sandals. His feet are dirty and dusty. I don't know how you feel about feet, but feet freak me out. <laughs> I don't like to touch people's feet. My poor wives all the time, would you give me a foot rub? Sorry, babe, just can't do it. I don't like people touching my feet. Part of it is I'm a little ashamed of them. My, my toes kind of look like this. Look like somebody took a ball-peen hammer and went bam, 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 bam. 
So, so it kind of freaks me out that she's touching his feet. They're dirty. They're dusty. This is a really gritty scene that we have a tendency to kind of romanticize. Like, like, oh, I was just so moved in the spirit. I just caught myself washing Jesus' feet. She literally is making a choice to wash the dirty feet of Jesus. And it appears at first as if Jesus doesn't even notice what's going on. Obviously, he doesn't have foot issues like I do. But the Pharisee notices what's going on, and, and I want to encourage you as I'm sharing this story, where do you find yourself in the story? Are, are you are the woman, or are you the Pharisee? Watch this. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But listen, Jesus did notice her and know her. He knew what was going on. Watch this. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. Notice that Simon didn't say something out loud. He'd actually thought to himself. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus goes on to tell Simon a parable. I want to remind you, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, denarii was about a day's wages, so one guy owes him a year and a half wages. Think about that in your, if you owed something or someone a year and a half wages, and the other owes him about three months of wages. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus said something that doesn't really fit as well in our culture today. Because in, in those days, the way that they would host was a lot different than now. And so we, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around it. But he says this in verse 44. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I, I want to give you a little bit of context here again, like I was saying, because in this time, hosting was an art form. Because of poverty and because of lack of money, it was actually something that only people that had money were able to do. It was an honor and a privilege to not only go to someone's home, but to actually be able to host them. And when they would arrive, you would give them water for their feet because, again, they wore sandals everywhere. You would anoint their head with oil, and you would greet them with a kiss. Nowadays, we don't, we don't culturally as, as, as much think like that. In fact, we're, we're, we're at our house, and when somebody walks through the door, we're sitting on the couch and say, hey, drink's in the fridge, help yourself, right? So as a general rule, we don't understand hosting like they did then, and, and this is really crucial to the story for us to understand what is really going on here. Because whereas Simon should have given Jesus water for his feet, this woman washed Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair. Whereas Simon should have given him oil to anoint his head, this woman used expensive perfume, her livelihood, and she poured it on him. Simon should have greeted him with a kiss, but this woman was continually kissing his feet. 
And what we can tell from this woman, though we don't know a lot about her history, is that she was grateful for what Jesus had done. And she was so grateful that she expressed it by the things she was doing. Simon did nothing probably because he thought Jesus to be a fraud. In fact, he had probably invited Jesus over just to investigate, try to find a chink in his armor, tried to get him to say the wrong thing. But as a religious leader, he had lived his life, devoted his life, looking for the Messiah. And now the Messiah is actually reclining at his table. You got to understand this in context. He'd been looking for someone that was actually now sitting at his table, and he missed out on the opportunity to see Jesus as the Messiah and to be grateful. And in that, we see the first obstacle to us having a grateful heart towards Jesus and us having a grateful heart in general, and it's this becoming too familiar. Familiarity. Listen, it's, it's when we begin to take the extraordinary things and begin to see them as ordinary. God saved us from a pit. God saved us from destruction. And by the way, I'm talking to every one of us today. I don't care how extravagant or, or um, amazing your testimony is. God saved every one of us from a pit. He saved every one of us from destruction. And we're so excited about what God has done We can't wait to get to church on Sunday to hear more about the goodness of God. We can't wait to get involved in a small group so we can talk about what God's done in our lives, to hear from other people. We go through the growth track so that we can understand our purpose, and we are so thankful. And we're just like the children of Israel that I talked about last week, that they went through the Red Sea, and when they got on the other side, man, they began to dance, and they began to sing the praises of God. And then they found themselves on the backside of the desert in a dry place. The excitement of what had happened with the ten plagues and the going through the Red Sea. They're they're months into their journey with God and they become ungrateful. And this is what happens to all of us if we're not careful. We're on a journey, months or years into our journey and then we get in a dry place and suddenly the extraordinary things that God did in our lives, that he saved us, he healed us, he delivered us, he put us in a family the family of God, he, he placed friends around us to get to encourage us and, and love on us and help us in our best moments and in our worst moments. And suddenly it becomes ordinary or familiar and we find ourselves becoming very ungrateful and critical. And now it's what? You want me to show up on Sundays and serve? You want me to be a part of the process that seeing people come to experience the love and the goodness of God? You're just asking way too much. You are so religious. You are so legalistic. Listen, I can only make it about once a month, and I'll just kind of have to be able to serve when I feel like it. And now, we're inviting Jesus into our situation. We're inviting him into our house. But we're sitting on the couch and saying, hey, there's drinks in the refrigerator. Help yourself if you want one. And I know what we think when we do it. Pastor Reggie, I'd never do that with Jesus. I'd, nev- I'd never do that with Jesus. Y- you know what Jesus said, right, at the end of the age? That when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Every time we love on one another, every time we serve one another, we're loving on Jesus and we're serving Jesus. 
So we're faced with a choice to either be Simon or the woman in the story. And it's our actions that actually reveal the thankfulness or the gratefulness of our heart. And it's interesting how this begins to show up in the way that we treat other people in our lives. We, we, we pray for a spouse. We, we pray for kids. And then we walk the journey of life with them. And if we're not careful, we can allow something that was very extraordinary, something that was so amazing to become very ordinary and become very familiar. And suddenly everything they do is wrong. Or it gets on our nerves. And we let the extraordinary become ordinary. We become f- familiar. I-, I said this at the night of worship, but I thought it was a pretty interesting thing. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for your prayer request to become your praise report only to become your praise request again? That, that the thing that you prayed for, that you can't believe God did this for you, that God, I'm, I feel so alone. God, would you just bring me a spouse? God, would you bring me a husband? Would you bring me a wife? And then God does, and supernaturally, and you just love it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then you discover they're not perfect. You discover they leave their underwear on the floor. You discover these different issues, and suddenly the, the, the prayer request that became a praise report is now back to the prayer request. Oh, God, I could really love you if you could just fix my spouse. And we forget what Jesus did. And instead of focusing on becoming more like Jesus, what we're really focused on is becoming more like us. What have you done for me lately? Which leads me to the second obstacle that we see to having a grateful heart is the focus on self. Listen, self-esteem is awesome. You need self-esteem. You need to be confident in who you are. But you need to be focused on others. See, for for Simon, it was self-righteousness. The the focus on self becomes this obstacle. And and with Simon, it was self-righteousness. He believed his righteousness was based on his performance, how well he lived his life. Rather than understanding that in the new covenant that Jesus was ushering in, it would be all about the debt that he would forgive all of us. Because you see, under the new covenant, it's about what Jesus has done, not what you need to do. Your behavior is important, but it's an outgrowth of understanding what Jesus has done. In fact, here's how 2 Corinthians tells us what Jesus has done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said that God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, but with Simon, he didn't realize that Jesus was going to actually do for him what he was not actually able to do for himself. That's why he looked down on this woman who was with great sin and why he looked down on Jesus for allowing this woman to touch him. Because what this woman understood that Simon didn't was her need for a savior. And when Jesus became her savior, she became so grateful and so thankful that Jesus had done, and it came out in her actions. Jesus goes on in verse 47, and he says this, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And and I need to say real fast, all of us have been forgiven of a lot. 
I know that we, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, comes very easy for us to have this sliding scale of sin. But all sin has separated us from God. In fact, the best way that I could explain it is that if you are a really good person or you're really a, a, a you're like me, not quite so good of a person when you came to Christ, none of us could do anything to get to Christ. It would literally be like we're standing on the shores of California deciding that we're going to swim to Hawaii. I don't care how good of a swimmer you are, you're not getting there. We're all in need of a Savior. In fact, here's how Romans 3 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So like Simon, when we become ungrateful and we focus upon ourselves, we have a tendency to become very critical of others and their behaviors. We give ourselves a pass because our behavior in our eyes is not near as bad as what they've done. So we think, I've just been forgiven little. But the truth is, We all need a Savior to forgive us of our sins. Concluding the story in verse 48, it says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I think this is interesting because I believe that she had already become a follower of Jesus Christ. But notice that Jesus says after she did this that your faith, that your, your faith, the way that you're walking out the revelation of how thankful you are about what I'm doing in your life has saved you. You know what the word there is for saved? It's my favorite Greek word, sozo. It means to, to heal, to deliver, and to make whole. And I believe that sometimes when when we allow, because again, we're in charge of our attitude. When we allow an attitude of gratitude to become an attitude of ungratitude, we start to pinch off the blessing and the favor of God running into our lives. And when we do, it's because we're pinching off the process of salvation. The healing that God wants to bring into our lives emotionally. The healing that God wants to bring into our lives relationally. The restoration, the deliverance from from things that we're still entangled with, even as a follower of Jesus Christ. The wholeness, the completeness that God wants to bring into every area and arena of our lives. So we've got to make a decision. Let's not become familiar with the things of God. Let's not let it become just this commonplace where we allow the extraordinary to become ordinary. Stay connected, stay apart, walk out a saving faith, continue to lean in to God. He's got more for you. He he wants to heal some hurts and some, some junk that you're still carrying. And sometimes we don't even know we're carrying the junk, but a lot of people around us are going, man, I wish they could just get rid of that in their life. Let's not operate focused on self, especially self-righteousness where even though God has lavished his grace upon us, we look at others with an incredibly critical eye. Ah, but I never did that. I'm, I'm not quite that bad. And let's make sure that we are daily, 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 daily receiving an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. That's the only way that we can give away the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. 
is staying focused on the goodness of God. 